And he came and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And he gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The Gospel of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you know exactly what we need when we need it. And that you are here present with us tonight and you have opened your word to us. We pray now that you would open us to your word. Your word written and your word incarnate, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. When Ben was Ben was reading, he just looked so dark. He was back here. I stood here and it was it was giving some reverb, so stand right here. I have uh, in my life had um, several sort of points of conversion uh, in my Christian journey, but three really, three really in particular. Uh, they weren't all uh, just sort of lightning bolt flashes. Some, some were uh, took took a few days or a few weeks, um, but uh, but I want to share those with you uh, as we talk about um, Jesus meeting. Uh, the widow of, uh, of Nain. Uh, in high school, I was about 15 or 16 when I uh, sort of invited Jesus into my heart. You know, as, as they say, it's not really a biblical term, but that's what we did. Um, we, uh, I, I committed my life to Christ. I, I became aware uh, that I, I should have God in my life. Uh, it was mostly, uh, practically speaking, mostly a moral conversion. Um, it sort of determined who I would hang out with and whose parties I would go to or not go to. And, uh, and it was fine. I, I think in, in God's... Uh, I think I was a Christian. I look back on that. I mean, if, if I had died, I thank God that I did not. But if I had, I think I would have gone to heaven uh, in the uh, arms of Christ. But, um, but it, I did not... And I could have articulated um, that we're saved by works and, and not uh, by grace. And I yelled that at my mom several times as she told me to get my act together. Um, I, I was, um, it, it was, I did not understand the grace that I understood. I, I could articulate it because my young life leaders had, had said that. And so I, but, but I did not under, really understand it in, in a, in a depth, with any depth of sort of spiritual, spirituality. Um, but I went on and, and I was involved in, in Bible studies and, and different things. Church, went to church all through college and, uh, the summer before my senior year, I was on a, a mission team and a mission staff, and um, and and I remember I was digging a helping to dig a ditch, overlooking Montego Bay in Jamaica on this uh, this gorgeous scene. It was uh, we were building a ditch to build a, uh, a school for the deaf there in Jamaica, Christian school, and um, and I was working with this girl who had just graduated from counseling, just got her master's in counseling, uh, and uh, and she was. 
she, you know, I think wanted to try out the things that she learned, and and uh, and I uh, had some things I wanted to talk about, and and um and she looked at me afterwards, and, and this was sort of a thunderbolt moment. She said, uh, she said, Joe, you love God with all your mind, but you don't know how to love Him with your heart. And I, my response to her was, oh, well, gosh, I'll have to think about that. She said, see, you know. I, how does it make you feel? I don't. I don't know. I can't. I, that's what I'm talking about. So, that began sort of a long, um, somewhat painful uh, process of of sort of opening my heart to the Lord and wondering why I wasn't emotive and and sort of going through all of uh, those things and um, and that was sort of a second conversion. I, I began to let God into places uh, in my life and in my heart that I wasn't proud of. And, and again, that was uh, that was a powerful experience for me and, and sort of governed a lot of the. Uh, next years of my life, uh, and yet um, I still, I think looking back, I still believed that my job as a Christian was to work hard so that I could get good enough so that I had no longer needed uh, Jesus Christ. I no longer needed the cross. Uh, I was supposed to be good enough for that. That was the assumption I was working on. I don't know who told me that or if anybody told me that, but that's sort of what I was working towards until my um, pretty deep into my first year in seminary when the light bulb sort of went off and I sort of had my third conversion and I realized, oh my gosh, uh, I, I realized that what had happened to me in high school was that heaven had broken in to a sinner's life. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, um, I, I wasn't one of those guys. I always envied the guys who had the big story, you know, that, I, you know, I woke up in a ditch and, and Jesus appeared to me and, you know, and um, like a dove. And, I, you know, I, I just had like these crazy stories. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never really that crazy. And I, I just, you know, it was kind of, I was kind of good and I kind of, kind of got better. I mean, it wasn't, it, wasn't a big, it wasn't a big story until I realized in, in seminary that, that it was a sinner saved by grace. That's really what I was. Um, and I, uh, I had always thought that when I came to Jesus in repentance, that His sort of attitude was, oh, you again? We've been over this before uh, already. Don't you remember? You said you weren't going to do that thing and you did it again. And Okay, one more time. I'll give you a little bit of grace. One more time. And, and just this sort of frustrated Jesus. And I, it was there that I realized this, this third conversion that I realized that the whole point of Christianity is that Jesus isn't mad uh, at me for having need of Him. And in fact, He just recognizes that and He's taking care of that need on the cross of Christ. And He's given me new life uh, in His resurrection. And so I say all of that, sort of my own story, by, by way of introduction to the, this, this scene, this sort of strange and wonderful scene uh, in Luke chapter 7, where um, where Jesus is going into the town of Nain, and he has this huge crowd with him, his disciples, and all this this other people, a really large crowd, is walking with Jesus into this little village. Really, it's called a city in the word, but it's really just this little village about six miles south of Nazareth. And and then and then he this crowd meets another crowd, and, and it's it's a funeral procession. And this widow, she's lost her husband and now she's lost her only son. So you have one, uh, you have one crowd that's led 
by the author of life. And one crowd is led by the, a picture of death. And there's this enormous collision at the corner of First and Main in Maine. When I, I don't know if you remember a, a baseball player named Frank Thomas from the, from the 90s. He was uh, mostly, mostly he was a big giant first baseman, mostly with the, the Chicago White Sox. And I just love, used to love this commercial. I think it was a Nike commercial. And it was one of those it was sort of black and white, slow-mo, you know, and um, so it just a lot of suspense. And, and he said, when I'm, round, you know, when I'm coming home uh, from third base and the catcher has the ball, it's like two trains colliding. And then in, this, you know, in the black and white slow-mo, he, they collide, and the catcher's mask comes off, and the ball goes flying, and all you see is cleats as Frank Thomas slides across, uh, and, he's, and the umpire's safe. You know, and, um, and, and then Frank Thomas says, I'm the big train. You know, and, so that, and I just always thought about that. And, uh, and that's what this is. We have life, a procession of life colliding with a procession of death, and Jesus is the big train um, in this. Uh, I, um, I I don't know if you, if you catch just the the misery of the widow's situation. Uh, it would be awful. Uh, and if you know someone who she uh, in our in our day who's lost um, a husband and then lost her only child, or I mean that would be a, a really tragic occurrence. But in her day, a woman had to have a man to provide for her. That was how, uh, if, she did, if she did not have a man to provide for her, then that was, this, this is not any sort of statement on equality or anything. It's just, a, just how it was in that society. That if she didn't have a man to provide for her, then she was automatically outcast. And so her son's death was sort of a parable of her own life. She, she, he was physically dead, but she was socially dead now. She was financially dead now. And, and you can imagine just the anxiety, the anger that she might have had at, at God. Um, whatever she was, she, she was a woman who was acutely aware of her own need. And she had no idea of how she was to have that need Met. Have you have you ever been in that place where you just think, well, well, this is it. I mean, I just have to suck it up, and this I just have to sort of succumb to this this awful thing. There was death all around this woman. Jesus sees her. And the first thing to to see is that Jesus had compassion for her at her point of need. This is, a, this is the same word when um, in the uh, parable of the prodigal son where, um, where the son's kind of coming, moping back and the, it says this, from a long way off, the father saw him and had compassion towards him and, and ran to the son. This is the same word, compassion. Jesus had compassion. His heart reaching out to her heart, his compassion for her at her point of need. Now, Jesus... What he said is, is interesting is what he did not say. He did not say to her, Oh, honey, 
you know, you're going to meet someone else. You know, your life is, life is, it, it'll, it looks bad now, but it, you know, there's, there's another, the, the butcher over here around the corner, he, he didn't say that. He didn't, and he didn't say, well, gosh, you know, let's just think about uh, what you had that you could sell. You know, and that, that'll get you through a little bit. Maybe you can start a little business or something. Uh, he did not say, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What he said to her was, do not weep. Now, if you had said that to her, if I had said that to her, it would have been an audacious thing to say to a woman in that situation. Cruel, really, even. And she probably wondered, who, who, who was this? You think you, I mean, her procession is, is mourning. His procession is all happy. Who, who are you to say to me, do not weep? But she was speaking to life itself, life himself. And really, she was speaking to the only answer to her grief. Jesus Christ. So, as the answer to her and her point of need, He turns away from her and speaks to the man who is dead, to her son. He touches the the beer and He says, Arise. Now, in the Old Testament, Elijah raised someone from the dead. He had to pray to the Father. Father, I pray that you would give life here to this child. And, and, and the child was raised. Um, Peter also. Father, I pray that you would come. Jesus doesn't pray to the Father. Jesus speaks into death. Reaches down into death. Oopsie daisy. And he brings him right back, back up into life. He did not pray to the Father, but exercised His own authority to speak into death and bring life. Jesus is divine. And that's why He's the only answer uh, for this woman at her point of need. He's the only answer for you and for me at our point of need. He speaks uh, directly uh, to us. And the result was faith in Jesus. Isn't it interesting? I mean, if you... If you had a, a, a situation where uh, someone, it looked awful and something happened and all of a sudden it was wonderful, don't you think you would talk about the people for whom it was wonderful? Don't you think you would say, and the, and the, and the man climbed off the beer and hugged his mama and it was, it was amazing and, and everybody was dancing and they were crying and, and, they, and they had a feast there's none of that. Because all of the acclaim goes to Christ. Fear sees them. They gave glory to God. And word about Him spread uh, all around. This, this passage does not promise a miracle for us at our point of need. What it promises is that Christ is the answer. What it promises is that all the sad things are being made untrue in Him. And it may be miraculous, or it may be long-term, we, we receive it in heaven, but Christ is the answer, whatever it is. So Jesus had compassion. He spoke in His own authority, and the result was faith in Christ. So here's the conclusion. We are each individuals in need. 
I don't know what your need is. I am at least partially aware of what my own need is. In high school, I wasn't in an active crisis. I, uh, I, was, um, I had parents who loved me. I challenge that sometimes, but looking back, they really did. They really loved me. I had a roof over my head and three or four, five meals a day sometimes if I wanted. I, um, I had a girlfriend. I had pretty good grades. And, and, um, and you know, from the outside, especially in retrospect, it was a pretty good life. I wasn't in an active crisis, but looking back, and what I didn't, what I was not even able to see then, is that I was in a spiritual crisis, apart from Christ. I was in a spiritual crisis, as is everyone who lives or dies apart from faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't tell this widow that he would meet her halfway. He didn't say to her, uh, you know, if you can just, if you can maybe get his fingers moving a little bit, then I'll do the rest. He was the only solution to her at her point of need. And He was the only solution for me. And He's the only solution for you. Like I said, I don't know what your need is, but I know that Jesus Christ sees it and has compassion. The evidence of that is His willingness to die on the cross and take those, those points of need, those places of need, uh, to hell and leave them there. And that promise of new life is sealed for us in the resurrection. Jesus Christ uh, is mighty to save. Thanks be to God. Amen.